Welcome to Momentum Church. Didn't that girl preach last week? Man, if you missed Pastor Stephanie's sermon last week or Pastor Brantley's sermon the week before, go back and listen to it. I'm just so blessed and honored to be able to serve on the team with them. And um, if you're a guest, I'm Ross. I'm the lead pastor around here, um, which means they let me do stuff, which is awesome. So, but I'm excited about today being able to bring the word. We're going to be preaching out of Daniel. I know you thought I was going to say John because we've been doing John for a little while, but we're going to be pulling out. I told you guys we would be taking times to pull away from John five times this year to be able to go into other timely series. And that's one of those things today and next week. And so this is a word that's been in my heart since October, and I cannot wait to bring it to you guys. What I want you to do is go to Matthew, work your way back toward Genesis till you find, till you find Daniel, all right? And we'll be in chapter five. We'll be in chapter five. And um, sometimes when you preach, you get nervous. And I know you would think, Ross, you've been doing this a while. Do you still get nervous? I do, but not from the standpoint of delivery. I feel like I could preach the phone book. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just, I get nervous because I want to be able to be sure that I'm speaking from the voice and heart of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I get nervous because sometimes I know the subjects that I'm going to bring to our body can be challenging. Um, I know that times they can be something that calls you just kind of, uh, and, and, and I, I love to just preach you happy every Sunday, but you know, I don't do that. Amen. We preach the victory of Christ, but we also preach the challenge of the Lord as well, don't we? And so at the last couple of months, as this day has come, I've just felt that, that good tension. It's a holy tension, but I have felt it. And, um, and actually, March 2nd, I just celebrated my 30th year of pastoral ministry. Crazy, huh? What in the world? Yeah, because I'm only, I'm only 38, so no, I'm not. But, um, but all this time, there's only been a few times through the years where I feel such a, mm, I feel like this word is something we really, really need, Okay. But on the other side, I feel like this word's going to make everybody mad, right? <laughs> I just do. I, if you're watching from home, we love you. Can you tell them at home? We're so glad you are there watching online. Yeah. Get your feet under the coffee table because they're about to be stepped on. No. But, but that's this kind of word. I, I feel like for those that are coming in here that have a, a more liberal perspective when it comes to their politics, I'm going to step on your toes. For those that are coming in here that have more of a conservative expression to your politics, I'm going to step on your toes. Is that all right? And the reason why is I want to bring some kingdom truths today that I think are so important for our country and for the church. Let, let, me, let me say, how many love America in here? Yeah, I love our country. I love America. I really do. I, I love it so much, I even sometimes say America. You know what I mean? Like, I just, ooh, I love it. You know, but there's sometimes that we miss things when it comes to being the church in America. And if you're watching from overseas, this is more of a word for us, maybe. I don't know. It's probably, I guess it's a word for you too. But, but sometimes we miss things. 
And I don't want to miss those things. Babylon is what we're going to be looking at. The nation of Babylon in the book of Daniel, it was a world power at the time. It had so many um, 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 things that they were doing that had control of the world in a sense. They had their accomplishments and such. And what we're going to look at is they're coming together as the king and his lords to have a feast and a celebration. And I want to look into this, and I'm going to liken our country right now, as I look at this, as that, that, that Babylon. I'm not saying that we're completely corrupt, a little, little, but I just, when I looked at this in October, God began to speak a word to me for us as a church in America, amen? And, and we call that in preaching a prophetic word. A prophetic word. Now, I, what I want to tell you is as we've been going through John, we've been doing what is called exegesis. And exegesis is where you look at the scripture and you're not saying anything that the scripture isn't implicitly saying at the time. This is exactly what God was saying through the author to, to, in that moment. Another way you can do with scripture is you can look at it eisegetically. So you do eisegesis. This is pulling a meaning from it that was not quite intended by God in the first part or by the original writer. Does that make sense? And so you're very careful when you're creating theology because you don't ever want to do eisegesis and create theology. All right? And so that's not what I'm doing today. I'm not creating theology. Amen? I'm creating an observation. Something that as I read this scripture in October, it just stirred my heart. And I just felt like I had a word for us from it. So does everybody understand what I'm saying now? All right, let's stand to our feet. We always stand to honor God's word here, that first reading of the day. And it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They were taken out of Jerusalem. All right. Say the vessels were taken out. All right. Let me go on to the next part. Very similar. It says then that they brought out the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple. Say, the vessels have been taken out. All right? And out of the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so I want to take a moment, and we're going to pray. And then we'll get started, all right? Lord, I just ask for your anointing, God, to speak in and through me. Lord God, I'm challenged by this word. Challenge me more, God. Ooh. Stir me word more by this, God. I want, I want to live out your kingdom's expression in this world, God. And Lord, as you're stirring me and stir our people, God, we want to be faithful to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have your seat. And so as you see, these people are having a celebration, but then what they had done as they had this celebration, they brought in stolen vessels from the temple of God to be a part of their celebration. They had brought in these vessels. Now, these vessels, when they were in the temple, they were the things in the temple that the priests would use to go between God and man. Isn't that God's kingdom expression always? That his church would go between God and people? A holy God and a people that need his holiness? A, 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 a God of perfection and a people who are broken that need him? Amen? 
And so these vessels of honor are used for that purpose. They're using the purpose of the priesthood. They're using the purpose of ministry. And in the scripture, they are sanctified. If a priest was to go in to use the vessels, he would have to be sanctified. And then those vessels would be sanctified and used. Pastor, what's that mean? They are set apart as holy for God's purpose to be used of God in that temple worship. And we know it's to go between God and man. I'm just kind of building something here, okay? So now what we see is we see these people who have a pagan, if you will, agenda. You see these people who are celebrating their power, celebrating their accomplishments. All the lords, all the powerful people have come together, and they're in the middle of their feast, and they're bringing in these stolen vessels to be used in the middle of this feast. Everybody shout, stolen vessels. What I saw in this as I was reading it in October was this. I fear people are using the vessels of the temple to celebrate and focus on agendas that are important, but stand in the way of the gospel and the kingdom of God being seen. What, what do you mean, Ross? You're a vessel. You're, a, you're, you're an instrument that God uses to go between the lost and the found, to go between himself and the world. You're a vessel of the temple. And at times, I think, we get up in the celebration or we get up into the feast. We get up into the busyness of what we're doing. And, and, and as a vessel, we take the things of the kingdom and we apply it to our agenda. And when we do, the king of the kingdom, he's not seen for who he is. When you, when you saw here, it said that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. That was the focus of their feast was their accomplishments and what they're doing. And, and, and it's idolatry as they celebrate in this moment. I want to ask you, what is the focus of your feast? What is the focus of your feast? Well, what gets you, if you will, excited? What, what, what causes you to be stirred? What causes you to want to run? What causes, in a good way, what, what is the focus of your feast, your celebration? Uh, a few years ago, um, we went to a house, and I won't say who, obviously, but we went to a house at Christmas time, and um, a person I'm really close to. And, and as I walked in, I saw their Christmas tree. Now, how many here, you have those pagan trees in your house too? <laughs> Pagans. Yeah, we do. I, I we won't get into that, okay? But we recognize that in a sense, as a my Pikeville mother would always say, that's Jesus' birthday cake. <laughs> She's so sweet. But we recognize that as a symbol, if you will, of our celebration, right? A symbol of our feast, our fellowship, or our, our, our celebration, rather, our feast, our time of honoring Jesus over this season. And, and so that's a symbol, right? So I come in and I look and my mind is just blown away. And the reason why in the corner is the Christmas tree all decorated with Americana. Now, I have no problem with Americana. Remember, I love America, right? But here's what blew my mind. It's all decorated with Americana, and the place where the angel is supposed to be, the topper, is a Make America Great Again hat. Now, y'all, I'm all about making America great again. I really am, you know. I love, I love America. I do. But there was something that happened in me. I'm just going to be honest. When I saw it, my heart was grieved. My heart was, this is baby Jesus' day. You know what I'm saying? This 
isn't the celebration of anything but Jesus. I don't care how much you love and admire some politician. This is Jesus' day. And I don't want to trivialize it because you're like, Ross, it's just, it's just a Christmas tree. My mom and daddy, they would keep a Christmas tree up all year long after I left the house just because they didn't want to put it away. They'd have a Valentine's Day tree, and they'd have a St. Patty's Day tree, and they'd have an American tree at July 4th, you know? That's your grandma. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what hurt, guys, I'm just telling you, visceral. Have you ever had just something that viscerally, like, you're, you're like, oh, what was the gut hit is over the period of a few years where their conversation used to center around what Jesus is doing in people's lives, where their conversation used to center around what Jesus can do in your life right now, where the relationships were redeeming in the sense that they were ready to pour out the gospel, pour out the anointing of God through the person of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Over a period of a few years, they were isolated. Church wasn't conservative enough. People, they had to hear the truth, which always was a political phrase, not something from the gospel, not something from the word. Yes, I'm a little bit upset. Now, I'm thankful they've walked in some repentance the last couple of years. I'm seeing some change there. But all I'm saying that it was the, the, the apex of what I'd been seeing and how my heart was going, how? How are you supposed to reach a world when they can't see you past your political agenda? And it hurt because of what it looked like to me when I read this scripture last October, I went, that was it. They're having a celebration, a feast. These are the things that are important to us. But they're using the vessels of the kingdom of God to do it. Yes, I'm yelling at them. So I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> if it hurts, it should. Amen? And so, whew. Hmm. And so I want to show you a couple things. And, and, and here's the thing about this. When I show you these, I hope they hurt a little bit. I hope you can feel the pain that I feel when I saw these for the first time. And why? And if not, I will say this. And I, I mean, I mean it. It's because the echo chamber in your life is too loud. Amen? And so I want to show you the first one. Let's do it. Vaccines don't save people. Jesus saves people. My body, my choice. Ooh, it's quiet up in here. <laughs> Y'all afraid. Like, where's he going? Which direction? I saw that a few months ago, and I thought, oh my gosh. Now, listen, we have had a position as a church of honor. If you want to have vaccine, we're proud of you. If you want to not have vaccine, we're proud of you. You do you. You be you, boo. <laughs> right? And we're not going to have a fight over it. And we haven't. Amen? Amen. Woo! Yeah, no, we haven't. So now we have some of our family that stays at the house. They're still watching from online. And they're our family. And we watch out for them. And we still minister to them. We don't look like, what's wrong with you, you know? And so when it comes down to it, though, when I saw this, I thought, oh, my gosh. So now somebody wants to be vaccinated. And they're standing in the opposition of Jesus because they want to be vaccinated? That's what that says, guys. I'm not accepted by those saved folk because I went and put medicine in my body. It's not like they're crack addicts. We should accept them too. <laughs> no, it's just, oh my word. And so we take this vessel, Jesus. We take who he is. 
And we're going to add it to that political statement? Come freaking on. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm just, it breaks my heart. And guess what? I might have to be vaccinated this year. And it's not no big deal. We haven't. This is the first time I've said it. I've had people ask me. And I'm like, that's up to you. You do you. I'm not really talking about it, right? But Amy and I have had the opportunity to go to the mission field in November. Actually, all of us get to go, because I'll explain that. We've been asked by a missionary. They've been here before, Kyle and Rebecca Alford. And we can't say where they're at, countries, all that kind of stuff. And I just realized we're going to have to edit that out of the show, probably, out of the video. But, but, but the thing with it is we've been asked to come and do marriage seminar, two of them, one to a group of rural pastors and one to a group of city pastors. And the reason why is as missionaries and the Assemblies of God, we don't go in and change indulge, indig, indigenous culture unless it's coming against the word and it's hurt, hurtful to the people. And their culture, because of the culture that it is, men run ahead of the wife and and, and the women and the kids are just kind of way in the background. Well, these men are coming to faith in Christ and becoming pastors, and that's not changing. And the worry is there won't be second-generation Christians in the country if the pastors don't get this fixed. So Amy and I have been asked, what an honor, to come in and host two, two marriage seminars for about 80 pastors. And so um, you guys, we're all part of that mission. It's, it's awesome. But a couple weeks ago, I get the email. Hey, I'm not sure if this is going to be a problem or not, but when you come... If you're not vaccinated, you have to stay ten, seven days in a hotel room and then get tested. And it could be up to three days to get your results. So you could be up to 10 days before you can go out into the, into the city. We've got little ones. We, we, can't, we can't do that. Like we, so guess what? I am not going to let medicine keep me from being a missionary that time. You know what I mean? To go do the work. And the Bible, I believe, is greater is he that's in me than a shot of something is in this world. Amen? And so... I, it's just not something to fight about. But we can see in our culture, man, it's such a hot button. But for me, when I saw that, I thought sometimes that's how we are as Christians. We have things that we're passionate about. I'm calling that the feast. Things that we want to celebrate. And that becomes the focus. But who Jesus is gets relegated so far into the background. We talk more about this stuff than we talk about him. We talk more about these premises than we talk about his word. And it shouldn't be. I'm going to throw up one more, make you really mad. Ready? I saw this as a governor up north, I think it was, who is going to be on the screen in three, two, one. There it is. No, by faith. Ah. And, and, and it says here, it says, God, guns, and babies. Now listen, I'm all for God. I'm all for guns. I got five children. I'm all for babies. <laughs> I think there's kids in here, especially making them know. Um, no. Amy, I'm sorry. So, not, not that sorry. Um, <laughs> but when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, and I get it. I, she's telling you she's a Christian, she's for gun rights, and she's against abortion. Can I tell you, I am a Christian, I am for gun rights, and I'm against abortion. Amen? Okay, I have compassion for the one that's had an abortion, but I am against it. Does that make sense? And, but man, people get so gung-ho about so much stuff, and they forget to talk about Jesus. You talk more about the gun range and your gun rights, and you got your gun stuff on your t-shirt, which I got some of those too, okay? But it's more the focus of the feast of your life than Jesus. Make sense? Now, first service, I made a statement, and I thought to myself, that was rude. I have to definitely make that in the second sentence. 
I joked with the men. I said, men, if all you are, guns, 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 and you've never killed one thing, taken its skin off and put it on the table for your family to eat, stop it. Just shut up. <laughs> I was kind of making a joke, because, <laughs> but it's kind of serious, serious sort. Um, no, I'm all about guns. Man, you come into my house and try, and I actually lost a church person years ago over this because I said this exact statement. I said, somebody breaks in my house, they'll die. I believe in guns. And the man came to me and was like, if it's the will of the Father, you know, you would die, if, if, but you can't have a gun because God wouldn't have you have a gun. And I was like, I asked him, I said, how long do you think I was a Calvinist and a pacifist? I'm not either. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I believe God's given me wisdom by a gun. And I think God would be like, if somebody come through the door, shoot him, Ross, shoot him. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I hope nobody comes. <laughs> but I'll shoot him. <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm, all, I'm not against this stuff. It's just when we juxtapose God, and you know it's a political type thing, it, 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 it just grates on me. Does that make sense? There's just an icky factor to it, right? It's... That's weird to say it that way. Theologically icky. It just is. And so I know it might sound like it, but I am not trying to be political. Listen, though. You have to understand something. This sermon's not going to be over today. Okay? I'm going to have everybody upset. You're not going to feel resolved. We're going to fix it next Sunday. Amen? <laughs> will you come back next week? <laughs> Clap if you will. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I saw people not clapping. No, Jesus. No. <laughs> No, I was just saying people that don't clap ever. It's all right. So, but, uh, but no, it just, I'm serious. We're going to resolve all this next week because God has an answer for this, all right? But I want to tell you, I'm not trying to be political. It's not that. I'm not here to give you a political response to the world. I am here as your pastor to give you a biblical response to the world. I'm not here trying to give you a political view regarding society and solutions. I am here to give you a theological view that points us to the solution. Come on, somebody. So what I would say in light of this is we've got to be careful what we're doing and how it affects the presentation of the gospel of Christ through us. We have to be careful. We have to be careful of things we say. We have to be careful of, of who you are. You're the vessel of God. You're the priest. You're the one that he's going to pour into and you're going to pour out of. Let me ask you, when you saw some of those things, what people do you think that see that would shut you off and never allow you to pour into them. What people? If that doesn't break your heart, something's wrong because you've positioned them as the enemy. No, they're lost. They're broken. They're making bad decisions. They need the deliverance of God. They need the healing of God. They need the redemption of God. They are not an enemy. Amen? They're a potential believer. Come on. They're not an enemy. They're somebody that needs Jesus. That's what they are. Now, I'm not saying that we're pacifists. We stand strong. Amen? Speak truth. But when it's the focus of your feast, you'll lose your platform for the gospel of Christ. At work, oh, that's that guy, that. That's that lady, that. Man, I, I want to be at work. That's that lady that if you have a headache and you're not feeling good, you need to go to her because she'll pray with you. I don't know what happens when she prays, but the headache goes away. 
That's that guy that when you're going through hard times and you need wisdom, go to him. He always has the right answer. Why? Because that guy's full of the Holy Spirit. And when the question comes, the wisdom, the gift of the Holy Spirit of wisdom comes up. And the gift of knowledge comes out. And the prophetic anointing comes up. And the word comes forth. And the praise goes to Jesus. Ooh, don't you want to be that guy? Yeah. Hmm. So we have to be careful. I want to position us as a church to have a kingdom impact on the world. And when I say the world, the world seems afar off. But no, no, the world is your mama. The world is your brother-in-law. The world is your crazy uncle, Eddie. The world is your workmate. Amen? Watch it online. The world is your cellmate. Whatever it is, that's your world. Amen? Man, that brings it close. I don't want to do anything that affects my presentation of the gospel. And if you all know anything about me, I am a pastor that always preaches balance. I can't say the word, but I preach it. I have a hard time saying balance. It always comes out bounce. Which can really change some meanings of some sentences. (laughs) So... Oh, man. So I'm all about balance, and that's what I'm trying to speak about. I thought Evan was mad and leaving. <laughs> oh, man. No, he's taking pictures. <laughs> that's all I want, man. I just want us to be the church. That hand connected to God and that hand connected to the world, making a difference. You know, sometimes we can be separatists, and our love for God can cause us to want to pull so far away from the world that, that we just don't even care, it seems like. And then sometimes we can be conformist. And we can try to be just like him to reach him. That don't work. But Paul said, I do all things, you know, to relate to all men so I can reach some of them. I become like a Roman or a Greek and so on. So there's biblical merit there. But the Bible also says, be holy and come out from amongst them. And there's biblical merit there. Every shout balance. When you look at scripture, God wants you connected to him and to the world in a redeeming way. Does that make sense? And guess what that is? That's not separatism or conformism. That's transformational living. But if we allow the celebration of our feast to be centered around agendas and so much stuff, I don't even want to label it, but you know the stuff. The stuff that when you read instantly, you know they're on that side. Or you read it, and they know they're on that side. There's not a balance there. We've got to be careful of that. History tells us that the church grew from 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people. And it grew to 1.5, somewhere between 1.5 and 2.25 million people by 170 years later, by the year 310. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That 170-year growth, it was kingdom and gospel focused. Do you know how I know that? You know how I know it wasn't about politics per se? They were just going after God and the kingdom? Because the politics hadn't changed. They were still being taken to the lions to be fed to them. They were still going through persecution. But guess what? The church kept growing. Is that awesome? Yeah. They weren't trying to get people to change their political views. They just knew if we reach enough people and Jesus changes them, everything's going to change. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have politicians. We should. I'm not saying we shouldn't have political agendas. We should. I'm just saying we've got to guard our hearts when it comes to being those who bring the gospel and the kingdom to others, that we're not being the one that stops the flow, that we're not being the one that keeps the conversation closed, all right? 
So you see this early church is growing. And then what happens? Probably the worst thing to ever happen. In 313, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, he has a conversion. Now, some will say it was a false conversion. Some say, no, no, he saw that cross in the, in the sky, and, and it reminded him of all this stuff that Christians are saying, and he made a profession of faith and began to follow Christ, and it was genuine. Now, what wasn't genuine is by force, he marched his armies across a river to baptize them. That's, you don't do that, but that's what he did. But here's what happened as the church continued to grow. And their influence continued to grow. Kingdom influence continued to grow. The Roman government saw it as a way to grab a hold of a bigger base. We can't fight this. We'll just join this. And in 380 AD, they made it the state-sanctioned church. And, And if you understand anything about that, that's where things started going downhill. The next 1,200 years just started going downhill. Over time, that led to the atrocities done in the name of Jesus that we're still trying to make apologies and excuses over. Things like the Inquisitions, the Crusades, and overseas endeavors that looked more like conquest than missionary work. Why? Because the agendas, the celebration, their feasts started to focus on power that's earthly power. Hmm. Control that's earthly control. And things such as that. And the church just got mixed in with the government. Got mixed in with everything. And we, we have an agenda higher than politics, people. Amen? We have an agenda higher than agendas. Or we have an agenda higher than, than, than the things that we see sometimes that separate us. We do, we do, we do. And so what I want to do, I want to go back real quick to the feast in Babylon. Can we go back there? During their feast, they're celebrating the power of their kingdom and all their accomplishments, but they were using these stolen vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, and their celebration literally was equated to them as idolatry. And in Daniel 5, 5, immediately, I love this, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. So not just letters showing up. But a hand, that's great. Better than Steven Spielberg. But this hand comes out and it writes, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Sinparsin. And it writes that on the wall. And there's something I saw in this that just blew my mind. Because this is going to be a challenge to the people of Babylon. And this is going to be a challenge to us as well today. But that, it says here that as the writing was being written on the plaster of the wall of the king's place, it was being written opposite the lampstand. I love that. All through Scripture, the lampstand represents Jesus. In Revelations, the lampstand in the midst of the church is Jesus. And so this thing that they're doing, this activity, this celebration, using the vessels of God to promote their celebration, their agenda, their focus, all of that is opposite Jesus. And Jesus begins to say, many, many, tekels and parson. From the hand of the presence of God, that goes forth. I just want to challenge. I don't want to live opposite of Jesus. I don't want, I want to walk in the light of the lampstand. I want to walk, Lord, how do I allow the light of who you are to be seen even greater to my friends and family and people? Shout balance. I'm not saying anything goes. No, we can challenge people when it comes to things. You guys know constantly at this church, we always say, we're a come as you are church, but we're not a, not a stage come church. We're not an anything goes kind of place. Why? Because we're vessels and we're priests. And sometimes the priests get dirty and we got to get her. 
our, our, our hand and our ear and our toe, that's kind of Old Testament theology, dipped in the blood and get sanctified so we can come and take the vessels and get them sanctified so we can do the work of the Lord. Yeah, but we're, no, we're God's vessels. All right, so I want to continue with this. So what happens? Belshazzar, his color drops. He goes into a panic, anxiousness attack, and he calls in his enchanters, his astrologers, and his wise men to be able to tell him, what does that mean? What is the interpretation of this? And he calls them in, and then um, his, his, his queen comes in. In verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. They're telling him this is what's happened. This writing, what is it? And the queen declares, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Verse 11, ooh, I get excited about this. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Oh, I want to be that man. I want you to be that person. That one that when somebody has a problem or a question and they need an answer, there's a man, like I said, in this office that you can go to. There's a woman who you can go to. And you haven't been robbed of that influence because of some of the things you've had to celebrate so much. Does that make sense? And so we're going to tell you who this man is. It's Daniel. A man who was known to have the answers. Why was he known to have the answers? It says in verse 12, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. Who's Daniel? He says, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now this is King Nebuchadnezzar who called him Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will be, he'll show the interpretation. And so Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, says to get hold of Daniel. And he says to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Ooh, that's so good. Now, Daniel's the one who, when they made the decree not to be able to pray to your own gods, remember this? And he disobeyed that decree. He ended up in the lion's pit and received the protection of the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar blessed him and honored him and honored our God. But here's what's wild. You don't see Daniel out on the corner. And I'm not saying protesting's wrong. Protesting has its place. But this just popped in my head. Some cute little clever sign or t-shirt saying, you know, let me pray. Let Jews pray. Let Jews. No, you don't see that. You know what you see? You see Daniel opening up the window so the word goes forth. And you see him three day, times a day going after God. He's seeking God. He's going after God in prayer. He's not being, being hidden. He's letting it be known. But the focus is on God. And next thing you know, he gets ratted out. And next thing you know, God creates an opportunity for his glory to be seen and his power to be seen. That's what I'm kind of challenging us to. Daniel lived in a very political environment, very un un unholy environment. And he went after God and kept, getting made, kept making the difference. And now there's a man. It's Daniel. It's that guy. Mm, love that. So good. So Belshazzar... Now, the wise men, enchanters, have been brought in before me. This is what he says, the king, to read this writing. He says, I've heard that you can give interpretations and you can solve problems. And Daniel says this, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. 
When I read that, I, I felt like that's us, that's our country. God has brought us glory. God has brought us blessing. God has given us power as a country. But watch, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. I do, there is a warning for our country. We're getting away from our roots, for sure. We need to speak against it, for sure. Do you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He became like an animal, the scripture says. Literally went out of his mind, lived on his, his hands and his, his, his knees. I mean, lived, lived like an animal. And I'm just being honest, when it comes to our country, the glory is lifting and people are starting to live like animals. And when I mean animals, they're not being governed by decision. They're being governed by just the base nature of themselves. And it's easy for me as a pastor to look at that and say, look at that. We have a nation that is drifting and the church must have an answer. You know, and it's true. It's easy like to look down at the nation. But guess what? Like I said, the church must have an answer. I'm not just going to look down at the nation. We need an answer. So Nebuchadnezzar's glory was taken from him until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, sets over it whom he will. And you, son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all well, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heavens. And the vessels of, of this house have been brought in before you and, you've, and your lords, your wives, and your concubines. You've drunk from them. You haven't honored God. And we see that in our country. And so what the scripture says is that the interpretation of this, they call upon Daniel. Verse 26, this is the interpretation of the manner. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This many, many Tekel, you parson, it means this. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. There's a gap here. There's, there's a lack. You've been weighed and you found wanting. And I just want to say, America's being weighed in the balances and is being found wanting. I want to see difference in our country. I do. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. We're going to start winding this up. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I feel like that's speaking to us as a people, but as a country, we can boast in so much, but can we boast that we know him? He says that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. In October, I came across this passage and the next passage I'm going to share. And when I came across it, my mind went, because we have to have an answer for this. Because, Pastor, we got to stand up against what's wrong. Do you want us to be pacifists? No, I told you that. Do you want us just to be, let all these things happen in our world and never change? No, we need to have change. I believe that, but we need the wisdom of God in this, not our own. We need the agenda of God in this, not just our own. And I said, America is being weighed in the balances and is being found wanting. I also want to say, guys, today, and this is what we're going to deal with next week, the church is being weighed in the balances and is being found wanting. Amen? Yeah, we are. It's easy to look at the world and see where it's lacking and missing it. It's easy as the church to look and say all the promiscuity and the abortion and the gender and sexual identity confusion and the distrust amongst people groups. 
and even the rising hatred against Christians. Guys, I don't know about you, another decade, and you're really going to have to be serious about your faith. I'm being honest. I'm not trying to prophesy something weird. It's just going that direction. You're going to be the outsider. And if you have a problem being the outsider, you're not going to be in the insider with God. Because you're going to be the outsider. It's just how it's looking, right? But the early church did pretty good in Rome. You're like, no, no, pastor. They got eaten by lions. (laughs) Other than that. (laughs) But they changed the world. They changed the known world. Next week, we'll have lines at the altars. It'll be, it'll be neat. No. But isn't it easy for us to look at all that stuff in the world and say, oh, the world. No, no, no. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Right? And so we can say the world, the world, and all this kind of stuff, and we want to make change. But listen, I don't think your T-shirt or your political party is going to make the difference. I don't. I think it's a part of it, but I don't think it's going to make the difference. You and who you are with Jesus and the life you live as a spirit-filled believer is huge. It's huge. (laughs) Couldn't help myself. I didn't do that in first service. (laughs) I just had to in this one. That That was great. Here's the second scripture that in October I came across. Like I said, my mind just went, that's it. That's it, God. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. I'm going to do something. Righteousness and justice. God in dealings with man. Do you see that? Doesn't, it doesn't give us an out just to hold on to our agenda and not connect with man. It says righteousness and justice. And next week, we're going to look at how do we live that out? Because you should have a voice that is an authoritative cry for people to change. You should. But not some pithy t-shirt that causes the people that don't think about things the way you do just to shut their ears. You have family members right now that are the opposite view of yours, whether you're conservative and they're liberal or vice versa, that you won't listen to a thing they say. Why? Because the t-shirts they wear and the agendas they can't stop talking about. I went to church and Pastor Ross preached about how bad t-shirts are. I hope you're not getting that today. When you're living after God before your family, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in and through you to them. There's things they're not going to like about you, not because your t-shirt. They're not going to like it because of Jesus. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But I don't want to put one other barrier in the way to hearing what God is saying to them. Does that make sense? Not one other barrier than what the Lord is doing there. And so when it comes to, I'm going to call it the scales of righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The scales of righteousness and justice. I don't want to be weighed in the balances and found wanting. Either way. Because that's how it is in our world today. And I got young people in here. And you are social justice warriors. SJW. And you're like, I am not. Yes, you are. And there's things in our country that need justice. Amen? Yeah, there are. But listen, here's where this bounce comes in. All too often, social justice warriors are dedicated to making things right in every area of life. Except for their own hearts. And I've seen it. 
I've connected with people to where, oh my word, your, your principles are so conflicted. God is my witness. I knew a person. I can't come to this event because I had tested COVID this morning. And that night went to a concert. Rails on people all the time. Why aren't you wearing your mask? Why aren't you wearing your mask? Why aren't you? And the day he tested positive for COVID, well, I, the tickets were really expensive and I didn't want to, no principles. Smile. <laughs> and I challenged the person on it. I did. Because they needed challenged on it, right? As much as they went on people and put the burden on people, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. And now when it really counts, I'm an exception. No, you're fighting as a social justice warrior, but you're not allowing your own heart to be changed and run by the principles that you should have run by, okay? And everybody that's, that's more not that vain are like, yeah, tell them, Ross. Well, let, let me tell you something. <laughs> All too often, those who see themselves as right in the eyes of God fail to see with the eyes of God the suffering in the world. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Amen? <laughs> I'm serious. Everybody needs to do that. I mean, just, it's both. We're not, when I say this awful world that needs to, I'm not, I'm looking at the world saying you need to change. I'm looking at the church saying we need to change. Amen? And where the fruit of this thing bears out is us knowing what that looks like, walking in righteousness and justice. And we'll cover that next week. We need to look at the church and we see where it's lacking and missing it rather than just looking at the world. And I want, as a pastor, to position us as a church to walk both in righteousness and justice. I'm going to close with this story and then we'll finish. It wasn't too long ago, I was with a person and they refused to eat with another person based on principle. This other person is struggling with their own identity. And this person refused to eat with them. As soon as they knew that person was going to have dinner, they left. And I get it. The scripture says that light hath no fellowship with darkness. I get that. Fellowship means koinonia. It means common ground. And you're right. At that table, there wouldn't be as much common ground as would be enjoyable. I get that. And there's things you don't enter into because there's not the common ground. But this is a person, you know, when you think about Jesus' time, every single one of those people Jesus had dinner with were Jews, supposed to be practicing well. In a sense, a lot of them were backslidden Jews. Like when it came to following Torah, when it came to the mitzvot, which are all the little laws, the 613 laws, they were not getting them things done. But Jesus, that's who he went and spent time with. That's who he connected with because he knew there was a better way and he knew they were struggling and he connected with them. Amen. The people he struggled to connect with were the Pharisees. I think that's the ones that have the, the billboards sometimes like that, you know? So the person left, and then later on I got to talk to them again. And as they were talking about life, they began to talk about how they have such a heart to reach people and to bring them together to communicate around redeeming conversations that would help move people towards a relationship with Jesus. And as we talked, they dropped this. They said, we just want to build wells, not walls. And Pastor Stephanie, didn't she kill it last week with that? Oh, if you, I said it already once, but her sermon was on the woman at the well. We just want to be wells, not, we build wells, not walls. In other words, we just want to create places where people can, can begin to get near and dip from eternal waters of Jesus. Amen. And so as a more senior minister, 
I wanted to not fight or argue, but I wanted to pour in because I care about this person and I believe they're sincere. I believe they got an anointing. I believe God's going to use them greatly. But I asked, so when it came to that meal, basically I asked, where was the well? Because all she felt was the wall. Well, well, I got to be true to my convictions and and I, I get that. I get that. But you can be true to your convictions and have a standard of the word and also a standard of love. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. Not, not going away from our commitment to God one bit and his word. But on the other side, how do we see a difference in people's lives? And I just want us to guard ourselves on anything that would affect our presentation of the gospel. Because now all that person has in them that could make a difference, it's cut off. It's cut off. And all it feels like is a wall. Do you think when somebody who, who, who really out of their own conviction and maybe, maybe their mom and dad have cancer and they live with them and I can't, I gotta be vaccinated because they got cancer and, and, and then they see a sign like that. I guess I'm not really welcomed in the Christian church because they really feel you shouldn't do this and these people feel like you should and I'm more about this and things like that. Do you get it? Just being mindful of how those things create walls, not wells. And so righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. How do we go forward with that? Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Next week, we're going to look at this. Next week, as a church, we need to embrace the idea of this. The church needs to rise up as a countercultural body that changes people not through politics or judgment, but through the impact of the Holy Spirit on and through those who call themselves Christ followers. That's how Jesus is going to change the world. Amen? And so next week, we're going to unfold that and look at what does it look like to be true to righteousness, but also to embrace justice as well. How many is going to go with me there next week? All right, good. Good. I was worried about it. You think I kid. <laughs> I'll tell you next week. You'll come back. I'll tell you a story. You'll be like, there ain't no way. Oh, yeah. But I want to pray for us, all right? Lord, we just want to be pleasing to you. We don't want to back down from your word or your positions or, uh, or your, um, your holiness. We want to live as that example. But Lord, we want to be a mediator between you and this world. You've called us to be priests. And so today and next week, just help teach us what that looks like to honor you and to love people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.